Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Not once, not twice, but thrice. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. left the yard on Tuesday. It's his world. We're just living in it. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stample joined by Scott White. A crazy night of baseball on Tuesday. Obviously, we'll lead with Vlad. We will talk about some slumping hitters and what to do with them. We have a brief worryometer on a few ace starting pitchers. And I missed team name Tuesday yesterday, so we'll do that as well. Let's start, Scott, with the man. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., a triple dong on Tuesday. Two of those off of Max Scherzer. He is now batting 360 with an 1177 OPS. He has seven home runs total, which puts him on pace for 47 home runs over the course of 150 games. Entering Tuesday, he was averaging 3.7 fantasy points per game. That was tied for first among all first basemen. I moved him up to my number three first baseman, earlier today, even before this happened. Scott, we messed up. We just, we messed up. At what point do we take an L? Is it tonight? That's a weird way to frame it, Frank. Not, and not everything that happens in baseball goes through the prism of anything I've done. Like, that's weird. That's weird. Why, why do you, why do you carry things so, why, why do they weigh on you so much? Well, shouldn't let that happen. Technically, we have been wrong about Vladimir Guerrero. Have we? I think so. I mean, every time we talked about him, we said he has the potential to be a top five player in baseball. And I I think, I think he's breaking through. I actually wrote earlier in the day, um, I was doing, should you, should you sell high on this streaking hitter? And Vladimir Guerrero, I included in it. And I said, no, because it looks like his, uh, his ground ball rate is well below 50% this year. So he seems to have the launch angle thing figured out. And he he has these uh he just has such good bat to ball skills. We all we the contact rate was there from the beginning. We we know how hard he could hit the ball. He just hit it too often into the ground. And it like he added the exclamation point today with this three homer game. I was already there. Um, but yeah, I think he's I, I think the breakthrough is here for Vladimir Guerrero. And yeah, you should be happy if you have him. Yeah, the plate discipline has also been phenomenal. He had more walks than strikeouts entering Tuesday. That obviously still remains. And look, you're right. We Every time we talked about him, we did say there is a chance that he's going to blow up. But we thought that his just, price was a little bit... Took it, you just took it to such a negative place right away. Like I just I'm feel happy. bad because I don't have... i happening for Vladimir Guerrero. I'm not... I don't... I just personally feel bad because I don't have enough <laughs> shares of him. I just, I'm mad at myself. So, okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I, look, technically, it's not like we were telling people to actively draft him, but um, you're right. We, we did mention he can be amazing, uh, but I thought that the ADP was a bit too high. Uh, I think yeah. you, know, you would agree. And, and look, not knowing what we know now. Like we we don't we didn't know then what we know now. We didn't know that this is the year it would all come together. So like you can't feel bad about that. Like players break out on their own timeline and you have to weigh risk reward going into um for every player going into the season based on what they cost. And I don't know. I'm fine with it. I have a clean conscience about I have a clear conscience about uh Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, I'm I'm happy this is happening for him. Kind of touched on it already, but we're not even we're not looking to sell, right? Unless you're just kind of blown away by some kind of offer. 
I, no, I don't even think then. I, I think next year we'll be drafting Vladimir Guerrero in the first round. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think somebody would have to offer a first round caliber. You know, if they offer you, I don't know, Mike Trout, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna. Okay. But otherwise, uh, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd have to be blown away for sure. Yeah, I, look, he's not going to give you many steals, obviously. He might not give you any steals, but, I mean, he can he give you close to a Juan Soto-esque outcome minus the steals where he hits, you know, 35 home runs with a really good batting average? Sure, and that would make him likely a borderline first-round pick heading into next year. Again, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the man is awesome. How about Oh My Goodness Gracious from Tuesday? He was too good for Oh My Goodness Gracious. He just gets his own segment at, there at the top of the show. <laughs> so let's talk about some other standouts from Tuesday. Oh my good, goodness gracious. All right, Scott. We'll start with you. Who you got? I want to talk about Corey Kluber because... There were some people giving up on him pretty early on, um, at least in terms of rhetoric. You mentioned, we were talking before the show, how rostered is Kluber in, in CBS leagues. Well, he's still over 80% rostered, so not that many people actually dropped him. But, you know, there was a lot of negativity surrounding his start, and okay, understandably, the velocity was down. He, he certainly didn't hit the ground running after missing, basically, the past two seasons. But he... he he shows he he's he's been showing gradual signs of getting stronger with each start, and this was by far his best one. That was against the Orioles, so you know, keep that in mind. But he nearly went seven innings, six six and two thirds. It was the first time he even got to five with the Yankees. He got seventeen whiffs. His fastball was approaching ninety two, which is not far off from what he used to average before the arm troubles of the past two years. Uh, and, and that velocity has been, it's been going up. So he still has a great secondary arsenal. You know, obviously he got the 17 whiffs, as I said, I'm encouraged. I mean, obviously, um, I, I don't know that I'm ready to put him in my lineup again. He, he should be lined up for a second start on Sunday since they sent, uh, Oh no, he won't. Cause Davey Garcia, man, I messed that up. No, so Domingo Herman's the only two-star pitcher for the Yankees this week. So you, you're, you're probably going to have a tough decision to make heading into next week when Kluber's lined up for two starts then. No, I think and, you're right, yeah. Scott. I think Kluber is going to have a second start this week because Herman's going to go tomorrow and the Yankees oh, play seven Kluber games. Oh, Kluber and Herman. Yep. Okay, they flipped those two. All right. So I hope you okay, left, cool. I hope you left cool. him in so the lineup get, then. <laughs> so we get to see one more star from Kluber this right. week, You know, assuming you play in a weekly. Uh, you'll get to see what happens before the next lineup block. And if he delivers another start like this with more encouraging signs, I mean, I think it might be time to activate him again. If he regresses, okay, fine. I, I think he's earned a longer leash, though, at the very least with this start because he's he's typically been a slow starter. And uh, like I said, there have been signs of improvement along the way here. And something I also noticed from Tuesday for Corey Kluber is he threw his cutter 41% of the time and he used a few more changeups as well in this start. So he was actually throwing his fastball a lot less and kind of using the cutter as his main pitch, which we've seen other starting pitchers have success doing that. You Darvish comes to mind, Joe Musgrove this season as well. So he's getting up there in age, and, and maybe he's leaning on these off-speed and breaking pitches a little bit more. You mentioned he's a slow starter for Corey Kluber, a 4.01 ERA in the months of April and March in his career, a 3.36 ERA or less in every other month. I'm not saying he's going to get back to that level of Corey Kluber, but he is typically a slow starter. We're getting closer to May, and Kluber's looking better. So I agree 100% with everything that you had to say about him. Oh, my goodness gracious for me, Kent Maeda. Let's talk about it. At Cleveland, which is supposed to be one of the better starts for a right-handed pitcher, and five and two-thirds, eight hits, five earned runs. He was knocked around by specifically Fran Mel Reyes, who had a double dong in that game. Uh, only three strikeouts for Kent Maeda, 11 hard-hit balls against him, three home runs total. He only threw his fastball 14% of the time. Now, I'm all for using the off-speed stuff because that is, I would say, the best of Kent Maeda's arsenal, but I kind of feel like he's ignoring his fastball a little bit too much. Not that it's a good fastball, but you kind of have to use it to set everything else up. The ERA for Maeda is now 6.56. What do we do, Scott? 
I think it's he's a two-star pitcher next year, uh, next week too. So that that makes it more challenging. I think at a points league, uh, you probably have to run him out there, and maybe in a deeper categories league too. But I, I want to say at this point, sit him till he gets on track. I do think he will get on track. Remember, there was the the drop in velocity in his previous start. It looks like it was just a blip. The fastball, like you said, he didn't throw it much, but it was 91.8 is what he averaged on it. He averaged 92 on it last year, so it was right there. So that that doesn't seem like a real issue for Maeda. But what is an issue is the changeup hasn't been nearly as effective. It's like half the whiff rate from what it was a year ago. And that, I don't know why that is. Maybe, maybe a pitch selection thing, um, as you're referring to. Frank, maybe it could be it could be any number of things, but I, I think it is a correctable thing. And I think in time, you know, Maida being a veteran um, with a mostly successful track record, I, I think he's going to figure it out. I think he's going to be okay in the long run, but I would prefer to sit him until it was until he until he showed signs of coming around, just so you didn't have to take any more lumps. It's going to be really hard to do though, heading into that two star week. It's it's unfortunate timing as far as that goes. We got an email from Greg earlier, and he said, "At what point do we just start selling Maeda for anything remotely close to his draft value? Everything about him looks awful through five starts. I can't even justify starting him at this point, which is basically what we've said that we're worried about starting him. Uh, do you think about?" selling him for anything that you can get, which at this point seems like a bad idea because you're selling low. Anything you could... Well, you, the question was anything close to his draft value. Yeah. And then you changed it to anything you could get. It was very different. <laughs> because I don't think you're going to be able to draft... I mean, trade him for anything close to his draft value. Because he was a fourth-ish round pick, fourth, fifth round pick. Yeah. Say other yeah. starting pitchers going in that range were yeah no I I agree probably not um trying to see I I'd updated my pitcher rankings before this start and I moved him down to nineteenth so obviously still very high Let's see how far how much further should I move him down I think I'll still be in my top thirty starting pitchers so you know I'm, my confidence is shaken in the short term but if we're talking rest of season like might is still somebody I want so no I want to just trade him for any old thing if you wanted to trade him for if you wanted to trade him for Kyle Hendricks who you know himself has struggled maybe you could do something like that that kind of seems like a lateral move right I, I could see it well I mean I we have more confidence in Hendricks right we we basically think nothing's wrong with Hendricks so I that's kind of a that's kind of an ultra cautious move. I feel like it would mm-hmm. be I'd be fine with it. You may regret it in the long run. I, I think Maeda is going to be fine. I just I understand uh, why you might just want to sit him for now. Yeah, I don't think he's going to come close to what we had him pegged for coming into the season, a top fifteen ish starting pitcher. But if he can come close to where he was before, a mid threes ERA, a good WHIP, uh, a strikeout per inning, then He'll probably be a you know top thirty top top twenty five is starting pitcher again. That is Kenta Maeda. And speaking of the oh my goodness gracious soundbite, I know it's very polarizing. I get lots of tweets and emails and and Facebook comments. Half the people love it, half the people hate it. Now I don't play it just because it's from the Yankees. I just think it's hilarious for all baseball fans. However, <laughs> I will give you all an opportunity to to submit other announcer calls or broadcast blunders. This doesn't mean that, oh my goodness gracious, the call is going away, but we'll work some other calls into, we'll, we'll make a rotation of, of calls that we play at the top of the show for our, um, our standouts for that day of baseball. So leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Let us know which soundbite you want to hear. Email us fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. We'll try and work some other things. I am a people pleaser. I want to, I want to help you guys out. You help me help you. And before we get to news and notes, just want to quickly promote the NFL Draft is here and the Fantasy Football Today crew will be live for all three days of the draft, breaking down the fantasy impact of the picks. Join CBS Fantasy Analyst Jamie Eisenberg, Dave Richard, 
Keith Cummings, NFL analysts like Pete Prisco and Ryan Wilson, and former players like Brady Quinn and Bryant McFadden on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week on the Fantasy Football Today YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash fantasy football today. Get your questions answered in the chat room and start your 2021 fantasy football prep early. Remember, everything is live on youtube.com slash fantasy football today. News and notes, Jazz Chisholm. Man, this sucks. Left Tuesday's game with a hard slide into second base. On his seventh steal of the season, he was later diagnosed with a left hamstring strain. I haven't seen anything regarding a timetable. Guess there's a chance he can land on the IL, which is just unfortunate because Jazz Chisholm was playing as well as he has. Framber Valdez. All right, Scotty. Now we're talking. We're getting a few more updates here. Is set to face hitters at some point this week and is, quote, way ahead of schedule, according to pitching coach Brent Strom. Framber Valdez is 57% rostered. Last year, he averaged 16 fantasy points per game, which was tied for 17th among starting pitchers. Scott, 57%. What should that number be in terms of roster rate for Valdez? Uh, it should be higher than that. I still have him. I have him right around 60th in my starting pitcher rankings. And he's he's been there basically all year. Hearing that there's a good chance he's back before the end of May. Sounds like he's going to beat Mike Soroka back because Mike Soroka doesn't sound like we'll be back until June. So, um, yeah, I mean, before he got hurt, I thought Fromber Valdez was a top 30 starting pitcher in fantasy. So time to time to get him rostered while he still can. As soon as I give in and talk up Chris Bryant on yesterday's podcast, he was out of the lineup Tuesday with a right biceps injury. And this has been my concern all along. It doesn't mean that it's going to be anything major, but Chris Bryant is currently day-to-day, so pay attention to that. Yadier Molina was placed on the IL with a strained tendon in his right foot. He dealt with it over the weekend and then returned to the lineup on Monday. But I guess his foot did not react well to playing in that game. J.D. Martinez started in left field Tuesday, which gives him five games in the outfield this season. So if you play on CBS or any other league where you need five games to gain position eligibility, J.D. Martinez will now have outfield eligibility. Lance Lynn will officially start on Saturday against Cleveland. Hyunjin Ryu is not expected to miss his start this week after leaving early on Sunday. Nate Pearson built up to 51 pitches over the weekend and will throw three to four rehab innings at the alternate site on Thursday. Like Framber Valdez, Nate Pearson is 57% rostered, but I assume that's probably a good number, right, Scott? It doesn't need to be much higher than that for Nate Pearson? No, it doesn't need to be much higher than that. I, I mean... It's always a little unfair how we don't care about the prospect that the second chance, you know, the second time around, or salivate over him when he first gets called up. If it doesn't go right, it's like, okay, well, we don't need to do this again. Nate Pearson, obviously, still a high end prospect, and there's a chance he could uh, break through this time, when he, even though he didn't last time. I just think because there isn't going to be the same level of enthusiasm for his return particularly in those shallower leagues. I mean, 57% rostered means he's rostered in a lot of deep leagues. But in those shallower leagues, you, you can probably wait and see how it goes before picking him up. But if you have a spot to play with, never a bad idea to use your bench spot on upside. Again, the name there, Nate Pearson. Steven Strasburg has increased his throwing to 150 feet as he rehabs his shoulder. Cabrian Hayes should start swinging a bat later this week. He suffered a setback after, uh, with his wrist injury last week. For the D-backs, Christian Walker is taking swings and Joaquin Soria is throwing at the alternate training site. I don't think that anybody should assume that Soria will be the closer once he returns, but it definitely has been a shaky position for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Mike Moustakis was reinstated from the IL and was batting fourth against the Dodgers on Tuesday. Austin Nola could be activated for the Padres this weekend. Denelson Lamette is scheduled to throw live batting practice on Wednesday, he was placed on the IL last week with a forearm strain. Cody Bellinger is nearing live at bats. Mike Soroka is unlikely to debut before June with his shoulder injury, which Scott highlighted. Byron Buxton was back in the lineup and was awesome. He went two for four with a home run and an infield single that I was watching to start. He legged out and he looked like the fastest player in baseball. So if he has a knee injury, I couldn't tell. 
George Springer was not activated on Tuesday, as was expected. The hope is for Wednesday or Thursday. Alex Calame is moving to a lower leverage role for the Twins. After his struggles, Taylor Rogers seems to be the next man up. Although, I don't think it would be crazy if we saw either Hansel Robles or Tyler Duffy work in here and there just because they like to play the matchups. Uh, Taylor Rogers is 43% rostered. Scott, that number should be blank. Should be up over 60, I would think. Yeah, it should be up for 60. Luis Robert was placed on the aisle with flu-like symptoms, though if he clears protocols, he could be back within the next few days. Brandon Nimmo has a mild right hip impingement and was out of the lineup on Tuesday. Yadiel Hernandez. This is an interesting fella. He's a 33-year-old outfielder for the Nationals. He could stick around with the team even after Juan Soto returns. I'm not really sure what that looks like because they have Kyle Schwarber and they have Victor Robles and theoretically would have Soto. Uh, but Hernandez hit another home run on Tuesday, and he hit 33 home runs in the minors in 2019. So, I mean, this is purely deep league stuff that I'm talking about, Scott. But anything we should know about Yadiel Hernandez? I mean, this has been the year of the of the guy who got stuck in the minors forever and <laughs> put up big power numbers and then finally got the call and delivered on it. I'm referring to Yermin Mercedes, of course, and also... Adelis uh, Garcia of the Rangers. Hernandez, Yadi, Yadiel Hernandez is is significantly older than both. He's in his 30s, 33 years old. But you mentioned, yeah, the 33 homers in the minors in 2019 hit 323 in OPS over 1,000. Uh, it, was, it was his best minor league season and obviously one of the oldest players at the level. That was with the juiced ball being used at AAA for the first time. So, you know... I'm not expecting much, but I'm keeping an open mind because those other two, just because we've seen those other two become fantasy relevant and Mercedes case, very relevant. Yadiel Hernandez, pick him up in NL only leagues and I would say scout him in deeper leagues as well. Andrew McCutcheon was out of the lineup for a second straight game. He might be on the short side of a platoon with Brad Miller, who was in left field. I don't think that you need to hold Andrew McCutcheon. He's 59% rostered. Maybe in deeper five outfielder leagues, but anything shallower than that, I think you could probably cut bait with Andrew McCutcheon. Max Kepler could return from the COVID IL this weekend. The Yankees traded Mike Talkman to the Giants for reliever Wandy Peralta. Talkman has a 752 career OPS. He's actually been better than lefties, than righties. He has a little speed. Scott, we actually received a few emails asking about Mike Talkman. So are you interested at all? I mean, look, the, the Giants know what they're doing with these cast-offs from other teams. They discovered Matias Strimsky. Obviously, the pitchers they've made reference to, Kevin Gosman, Drew Smiley, more recently, Anthony Desclafani. Uh, they, they've they hit on a lot of these guys. And Talkman, in 2019, he, he looked really impressive. 865 OPS, that was the most playing time he got, 260 at-bats. I know Alex Chamberlain, who's a good analyst, has always been very high on him. So, no reason to rush out and add him in standard leagues, but I, I think Talkman could emerge as something, as a guy who's fantasy relevant. I think that's possible. I think he's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, he's another name, particularly in NL-only leagues, that you should probably go out and add. Maybe this is a preemptive move, if they're going to place uh, Mike Yastrzemski on the IL. I know he's been dealing with that oblique injury, so pay attention. I think he's an interesting player, Mike Talkman. Uh, some more Yankees news. Miguel Andujar will get reps at first base at the team's alternate training site and could play the position in the majors while Luke Voigt recovers from knee surgery. Voigt expected back sometime in mid-May has been the timeline. Email of the day. This one's from Chad. I've been pretty patient with these guys, but I'm not seeing a lot of improvement, and I'm wondering if it's time to move on from this group. Josh Bell, Dom Smith, Lord Esguriel, and Will Smith. Granted, there aren't a ton of great options on waivers. 12-team head-to-head points league with 10 bench spots. But it can't be that hard to replace 42 combined hits in a month from four players. And I, I think, Scott, if you can just... You can hit on these players, but also talk about it just from like a wider lens. Because there are a lot of people who have established players who are off to really slow starts, and I could see how it can be discouraging if you drafted a team that on paper looks pretty good, but you have all these names that are, you know, struggling. So mm-hmm. what do you do with these players, and what do you do in general if you just have a team full of those guys? 
Well, I I will say that of these four, Josh Bell, Dom Smith, Lourdes Gurriel, Will Smith, the catcher, I haven't I haven't seen fit to drop any of them in any of my leagues. Josh Bell is the only one I've even given half a thought of that to. Uh, because he was so bad last year, because the strikeout rate is high again this year, he's done virtually nothing. He's losing at bats to Ryan Zimmerman. But even him, I expect I'll regret that move if I did it, because he was a monster in spring training, and then he got put on the COVID IL for a while. And I, I think there's a good chance it just kind of threw him off his rhythm. He's still hitting the ball very hard, a lot of ground balls, but you know, just I, I can't shake, you know, between that awesome 2019 season when he performed like an MVP caliber bat and then spring training when he looked like he was back to that. I think I want to give him a longer leash. But really, just in general, any player I believe in, you know, it, it, it gets tricky in shallow leagues because shallow head to head leagues, I'm thinking where you have such a small lineup. I mean, it's a lot easier to get away with swapping guys out more aggressively. But just as a general rule, if it's a player I believe in, a player I drafted in the first 10 rounds, let's say, or, or maybe even more than that, depending on how deep the league is, I give it at least six weeks. I, ideally, I give it two months before I start really changing my opinion on a slow starter because that's, that's how long it takes um, for, for numbers to normalize oftentimes. And uh, I don't see any real worry signs for any of these other players, Dom Smith, Lourdes Gurriel, Will Smith. I mean, Will Smith's expected stats are amazing. And his strikeout rate is low again. Like, and he just he's hit a top a, five catcher in my mind. He just hit a three-run home run on Tuesday as well. There you go. There you go. And Lourdes Gurriel, I mean, he was really cold at the start of last season. And then you see where his final numbers ended up. I, I think we re, it was even deeper into last season before Lourdes Gurriel got going. So, you know, just remember it's a long season. And um, other other players are going to get cold for other teams at different times of the year. And if if you feel like these guys are holding you back now, somebody's going to be holding somebody else back later. No, it's a great point that you bring up, and it, and it, I think it's just it's bad luck too. Let's be honest. This game that we play, there is luck involved in both real baseball, a lot of luck involved, and in fantasy baseball. And for all four of these players in particular, Bell, Tom Smith, Lourdes Gurriel, Will Smith. The underlying numbers, the data, according to Baseball Savant and Fangraphs and wherever you look, they're just, they've just been unlucky. So Dom Smith in part- particular, he's batting 217. His expected batting average is 315. He's still making really yeah. hard contact, and he's been hitting in the middle of a Mets lineup. The, whole, the entire Mets lineup is off to a slow start, right? So if we're going to crush Dom Smith, we've got to crush Francisco Lindor. We've got to crush Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil. I mean, they're all off to slow starts. So I know it's yep. tough, but I would say just remain patient and... Josh Bell in particular, I have him in a league that I am very <laughs> financially invested in, and I understand it, he's he's been very bad, but he's he's crushing the ball. He's hitting the ball harder than ever before, and it's not close. Yeah. The problem for him is he's just hitting everything into the ground, so I hate that part of it, but cross your fingers and hope that but it, it gets it, better. It's, over the sample, it's, it's meaningless, basically. It's, you, you, you signed up for a 27-week game. And yes. we're not even seven weeks into that game. We're, what, five weeks? Is week five? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know if you play in a head-to-head league, it's it's going to be fewer weeks than that to earn a playoff spot, fewer than the full 27, but there's, there's still a lot of weeks ahead of us. So don't be, don't be short-sighted. Let's talk about a few other cold hitters and what our confidence level is in them bouncing back. Kyle Tucker is batting 182, but he still has five home runs. 10 runs scored, 15 RBI, one steal. We've been, we've been receiving some questions. You know, People worried about Kyle Tucker. What's your confidence level, Scott, in Tucker getting back on track, at least in terms of the batting average? Uh, it's high. It's high. His expected stats, I mean, it's kind of like you pointed out with Dominic Smith. StatCast says he's earned uh, a 280 batting average and 541 slug percentage this year with the quality of contact he's made where, where he's actually hit the ball this year. So... Even if he didn't have those kinds of numbers, I would still trust in in the skills he showed last year um, after this short period of time. But because he has that, it's 
it's easy to have confidence in Kyle Tucker still. Tucker is the 12th biggest underachiever in terms of expected batting average and the 24th biggest underachiever according to expected slugging. One thing that stood out to me, he only has a 410 OPS against left-handed pitching, but that also comes with a 53% hard contact rate. So I think there's been some unluckiness there for Kyle Tucker. I'm very confident he's going to bounce back. If you can sell high on a Justin Tucker, a Mitch Hanniger, Mark Canna even for Tucker, that's something I would personally look into doing. Yeah. Yep. Francisco Lindor, I mentioned the name. He is batting 212 with a 593 OPS. He does have more walks than strikeouts. Big issue for him has been a 51% ground ball rate entering Tuesday. That has been 44% or less the previous four seasons. Scott, what is your confidence level in Lindor, who has now, dating back to the start of 2020, has struggled over his last 75 games total? So I thought I would mention yeah. that. Yeah, I'll say it's a nine. If not for that, I'd, I'd put it at 10. But there, there is some very, 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 very mild concern that something has changed for him in his swing and, uh, and, and, he, and he's not delivering on the power we're used to seeing. Because that, that, you know, he wasn't last year either, but a lot of the underlying numbers still looked very normal. Uh, so I was dismissing it. I'm still mostly dismissing it. I, I, don't, think, I don't think there's really any benefit to you to flip out about Francisco Lindor now because he's very likely your best player still. And yeah, I, I don't know what you'd do with that. I don't know what you'd do, what you could gain by, uh, by thinking he's not at this point. Seemingly every week we talk about Glaber Torres as a worryometer, someone I'm freaking out about. What do I do? He did hit, he did pick up two hits on Tuesday. That was a second multi-hit game of the season still has no home runs. Uh, Scott, what is your look? Another one where dating back to last year, it's, it's been pretty bad for Glaber Torres. So what is your confidence level in, in Glaber bouncing back? It's pretty high too. I'd put it at like a seven on a scale of one to 10. Yeah. We need to see something pretty soon from him given how poorly last season went, but I don't see a lot in the underlying numbers that suggests he's broken. So, Give it the six to eight weeks and then maybe reassess at that point. The one thing that stood out to me is he's batting 208 versus fastballs and he's actually seeing more fastballs this season. So it just seems weird because his first two seasons, he was great against that pitch. So yeah, now I did watch one game where it seemed like he was having trouble catching up to that. Yeah. And um, look, I watch every Yankee game and they talk about it. It's like Paul O'Neill's all over it. He brings up all the time that, uh, mm-hmm. He's pressing to try and get his first home run, and that's why he's kind of like over swinging and, and these things are happening. So I think maybe once he gets that first home run out of the way, things will start to pick up rather quickly for Glaber Torres. Joey Gallo, remember the song. He's fallen down the ranking, Scott. Did hit his second home run of the season on Tuesday, so it was nice to see that. But he is batting 236. 35% strikeout rate. It's pretty normal for him. Uh, but entering Tuesday, he was he just had a 275 slugging percentage. His batted ball data was like really weird. He's hitting a lot of ground balls. What's going on with Joey Gallo? I think what's going on with Joey Gallo is that he's a high-variance player going through what high-variance players go through, where it'll look useless for weeks at a time. There will be weeks when they look like the best player in baseball. And I'm sure when he's having a stretch of two weeks in June where he hits nine home runs, nobody's going to remember how he looked on April 28th. So you're not dropping Joey Gallo, right? I, the, the only context I could see that happening is a shallow points league where the strikeouts are hurting you. You know, the strikeouts are going to be there, obviously. And you don't feel like you can stash them away on your bench because your bench is small and you need you got to have room for pitchers. And you'll probably regret it even there, but I, I could see just being forced into that move in a league that shallow. Austin Meadows went 0 for 4 on Tuesday, and he is now batting 213 with a 762 OPS, and I'll take the reins on this one because I was the Austin Meadows guy coming into the season, but another one where the underlying numbers look really good. He's making harder contact than ever before. Stack has said he says he deserves a 260 batting average. The launch angle, too high. He's trying to hit too many fly balls. It's something I noticed in his batted ball data, but the strikeout rate, 
right where it's been, uh, where it was back in 2019 when he had that breakout season. So I would like to see him hit more line drives and maybe even a few more ground balls. But in terms of expected slugging percentage, he's right in line with where he was back in 2019. So uh, Austin Meadows, definitely a name that I would try to buy if you can. Austin uh, Austin Happ, Ian Happ, went over three (laughs) with two more strikeouts. He's batting 139. Can we drop Ian Happ, Scott? Three outfielder league, I think you can. The investment level in that format was probably pretty low. So, And the quality of players emerging on waivers is probably pretty high. So I, I could understand doing it in a, in a three outfielder league, five outfielder league. You probably don't need me to tell you that you shouldn't drop Ian Happ yet. Quality of contacts, still very high. He's striking out a ton. But I... I imagine I imagine he'll get hot at some point and those numbers will correct pretty quickly. Just I that's that's true for most players. I, I would I would have a difficult time saying any struggling hitter right now um is just broken and his numbers are gonna remain this bad forever. I don't think I I don't think I'm trying to think of an example maybe I could say that about. Like, obviously, Victor Robles is off to a terrible start, but it's been a long time since we've seen him be a good hitter. Keston Hira, same thing. I have clearer concerns for them. Somebody I was already biased against, like a Kevin Biggio. I mean, he's had three hits in two of his last three games, I think, so even he's showing signs of, of uh, regression, the good kind of regression. Uh, and it's hard to imagine he could be this bad forever, but... The the examples of hitters I would have real concerns about right now are few and far between. In a case like Hap, because the investment level is fairly low, I could understand just kind of chasing a hotter hand because when things go right for him, it's not going to be as detrimental that you gave up to on him as it would be for, you know, like a Glaber Torres, for instance. Or potentially a Charlie Blackman who went two for four with two RBI on Tuesday. So some signs maybe that he's breaking out. A lot of people are asking questions about Blackman. I personally would not drop him. I think you should continue to hold on to him. It's been uh, He's off to a slow start. I get it. But they're like playing games in 30 degree weather in Colorado. It's snowing and stuff. So I think it's just kind of been a weird start for, to the season for a few of their hitters. We did get a few emails about Charlie Blackman, Scott. And... This one's from Otis. He said, grade the trade. Give Tristan McKenzie, get Charlie Blackman. Yeah. That's pretty easy. I don't even have McKenzie in my... Is this a dynasty thing or something? No, I didn't give any context yeah. to it. Just, I, I don't... I don't what grade would you... I, I don't even have McKenzie in my top 80 starting pitchers. So uh, that's that's an A+. Plus. I don't I don't really understand the, the situation where you'd turn down that deal unless maybe it's a dynasty, you know? This one, this one was from Colin. He said, a panicked owner dropped Charlie Blackman in a 5x5, 12-team Roto League. Feel that he's too good to leave out there, and he plays at Coors. I have a full outfield, Nick Castellanos, Mookie Betts, Kyle Tucker, and Alex Kirilov. Kirilov will gain first base eligibility soon, so I can move Mike Moustakis to second base, though. Would you drop Alex Kirilov for Charlie Blackman? Yeah, I would. Don't love dropping Kirilov. I think he's... Pretty close to must must roster, but Blackman's even higher on that list. Uh, there's a chance Kirilov gets sent down, even when everybody's healthy. I mean, it's not it's not clear there will be an opening for him once that happens. But he has gotten a hit in back to back games, so he's making a lot of loud contact too. I was watching mm-hmm. that game, and he hit a few hard balls off of uh, Aaron Savale. More on Aaron Savale in just a little bit, by the way. But before then. FBT listeners, I've got to tell you about the CBS Sports mobile app. As you know, it's my go-to for live scores and breaking news, but it's NFL Draft Week, and I wanted to let you in on a little fantasy football hack here. If you don't have the app, you can download it at your mobile app store. The CBS Sports app is always totally free once you have the app or if you have the app already. Make sure your NFL team news and draft alerts are turned on via the setting screen. It takes about five seconds. You'll not only get updates on each pick your team makes, but also when the pick is in, breaking news if your team makes a big trade, and lightning fast analysis like draft grades and player comps on each of your team's draft picks. The CBS Sports app is the best way to never miss an NFL draft moment. So if you haven't yet, fire open the CBS Sports mobile app and get your mobile war room ready ahead of the action this 
Thursday. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we will have a brief worryometer, a few more starting pitchers I was impressed with on Thursday. Check in on those West Coast games. We'll do that next on Fantasy Baseball Today. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Let's hit this worryometer up, Scott, and only two names here. Some aces. Just want to get your thoughts on real quick. Max Scherzer, five innings pitched, seven runs. Five of those were earned. He was the dreaded pitcher going against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The two home runs (laughs) that he allowed were against Vlad. Uh, Entering this start... Max Scherzer had a 59% fly ball rate. That is not going to play in Dunedin or any other warm location as it starts to heat up. So your worryometer on Max Scherzer. Maybe like a two, which is it's notable that it's not zero. It, it's possible he just ran into a buzz saw, right, in, in Vladimir Guerrero. But I, one curious thing about Scherzer is remember... The past few starts, we were like, what's going on with the velocity? It's a little weird. He, he dominated. It was a stretch of three straight starts in which he dominated, but the velocity was down considerably. He didn't allow a home run in any of those three starts. Velocity was back up in this start. It was basically back to normal. 94 he averaged on the fastball, and he gave up two home runs. It was normal in his first start, too, when he gave up four home runs. So we have two starts, bookending the others, two starts where the velocity for sure is basically normal but he got crushed by home runs and then three starts in the middle when it was down and he dominated no home runs. I wonder if he's at an age now where he has to overthrow to get his old velocity and he's not spotting the ball as well as a result. I don't know, just a theory at this point, but I wouldn't say I'm worried based on the way the last three starts went for Scherzer. Well, do you have any theories about Lucas Giolito who also had a great matchup like Kent Maeda and didn't really come through Six and two-thirds, four earned, three walks, seven strikeouts, two home runs allowed, but most of that damage came in the seventh inning when it seemed like Tony Larusa just left him in the game too long. He, he got up to 114 yeah. pitches in this start. 11 yeah. earned runs for Giolito over his last two starts. Worryometer on him. Zero. Zero. He dominated for the first six innings, and uh, yeah, I think he even said, and he was... I forget exactly how he worded it, but basically that he he was out of gas there in the seventh inning and gave up three of the four runs. So I don't think there's anything to worry about here. By low on Lucas Gilito. Some starting pitchers I was impressed with on Tuesday outside of Corey Kluber, who I was originally going to mention in this part of the podcast, but Christian Javier, first time completing seven innings, seven shutout against the Mariners. Ian Anderson, just phenomenal against the Chicago Cubs. They didn't have Chris Bryant or Javier Baez in the lineup, but don't take anything away from him. Eight strikeouts over seven shutout for Ian Anderson. Marco Gonzalez, six innings of two-run ball. He has allowed two runs or less in three straight. And Frankie Montas, who was at the Tampa Bay Rays, 
a quality start, nothing crazy, six innings, three runs, five strikeouts, 16 swinging strikes. He used his splitter 26% of the time. That was his most in a single start ever. So anything you would like to add, Scott, on Javier, Anderson, Marco G, and Frankie Montas? Yes. So Javier got 14 swinging strikes in this start. That was after, he was. I think it was around 20 last start, and our eyes were bugging out because he was such a bad swinging strike pitcher last year. So that was obviously the most of his career last time out. 14 this time was the second most of his career. He's also had a start earlier this year that was the third most of his career. I I think Christian Javier's taking a step forward here and I think uh I think him I think I'm treating him as pretty close to must start going forward. You know, I I spent an 18 I threw $18 on him. Uh for the fab bid Sunday night in our, in our, our podcast league, the head to head points league. And um, I feel like it was money well spent at this point. Ian Anderson, this was the start against the Cubs, one hit in seven shutout innings and only one walk. Like this was the start where I feel like we can say he's, he's in mid season form now. Cause he'd been kind of underwhelming before this. He had, so many starts last year between the regular season and playoffs that that look where he looked this dominant. So uh, feeling really good about Ian Anderson right now too. Uh, the other two, Gonzalez and Montas, you know, it's been a it's been a mixed bag so far, but I certainly think they're both must roster. Daniel Bard just blew the game. <laughs> for the Rockies, which I have on on my other computer, so I was watching intently because I have him a few in a few leagues, and uh, yeah, it was a one-run game. He gave up a solo home run to Brandon Crawford. Daniel Bard now has an ERA over five on the season. I'm looking for somebody who might be relevant for them. Robert Stevenson has pitched very well for them. Michael Givens. I think those are probably the next two names to look at for the Rockies, but has not been a good go here for... One, Daniel Bard. A starting pitcher that I think you should sell high on, Aaron Savale. <laughs> I've I've come mm-hmm. full circle, Scott, and against the Minnesota Twins on Tuesday, seven and two-thirds, eight hits, four earned, four strikeouts, another one where I thought the, the pitch count was not high, but it was at that point, I think it was like the fourth time through the order. I felt like Terry Francona just left him in the game too long, so he would have gotten away with a quality start, but uh, did allow a home run late to Byron Buxton in this game, he allowed 12 hard hit balls. And I think he's going to give you lots of depth for a points league. He's probably going to be fine. He'll give you some quality starts, but for someone who has a 2.94 ERA in Aaron Savale, you need to realize that regression is coming for him and he's going to wind up with, I think it's going to be a high threes ERA, maybe even closer to four uh, because he's not Mm -hmm. getting a lot of strikeouts. I like him. I just don't like him as much as I did coming into the season. I certainly don't love him. So if you can yeah. turn Aaron Savale around for, I guess, a Kyle Hendricks who's struggling or a even a Kenta Maeda, it might not be crazy to say. I think you should. Yeah. I mean, you could maybe even aim higher as low as Savale's ERA is and in as many innings as he's given. I don't know that you necessarily have to do a combo sell high, buy low. I think some people will just believe they're getting uh, an ace or close to it in Savale. And I agree with you. I I never bought into the idea that he could be anywhere close to that. I think it hurts. class pitcher. It hurts, class Scott. Pitcher is about right. It hurts, yeah. but I'm I'm maturing. I'm maturing. I gotta <laughs> I've got to be able to admit when it's when it's not actually there. So uh, it doesn't look like it's actually there for Aaron Savale. Maybe Luis Castillo, another name that you can uh, buy low on there. Some double dongs, not triple dongs. I was only Vlad. Double dongs. Fran Mil Reyes, he now has seven home runs on the season and had a 38% fly ball rate entering this game, which would be a career best for him. Trey Turner uh, also had a double dong. He's batting 286 with six home runs and five steals. And that is a pace of 45 home runs and 37 steals over 150 games. And that's still with the weather mostly cold um, in the Northeast. So. Trey Turner has been awesome. Nick Solek, three more hits, including a double dong himself. He's batting 307. Scott, anything you'd like to add on Fran Mil Reyes, Trey Turner, Nick Solak? Yeah, I, I mean, Nick Solak is the most interesting because up to seven home runs. I mean, I, I wasn't even sure he'd have seven home runs all year. Didn't show much power last year. Showed more two years ago in, in a brief promotion. He also has, his sprint speed is 97th percentile, according to StatCavs. 
two steals so far. Uh, but if the Rangers like to run, and he certainly has the speed to do it. So if you know, the, the StatCast expected stats, they're, they're less than his actual stats because how could they not be? But the entering today before the two home runs, 278 XBA, 506 X slug. So they, so they like Solak. They think he's, uh, there's legitimacy to what he's done so far. I'm skeptical he'll sustain anywhere close to this power pace, but if he goes 15-15 rest of the season, that's still somebody you're happy you invested in. So, yeah, I think uh, I'd hesitate to call him a sell high, I guess. So, like, it, you'd have to be selling pretty darn high for me to uh, for me to tell you to move on from him. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Reyes, Framil Reyes, I, I think I think he could be an elite power hitter. Part of the reason I never really wanted to draft Stanton to fill my DH spot is because I felt like Framil Reyes could do basically the same thing several rounds later. And if he's elevating better, I know his average exit velocity is is around 95, which is like the elite power hitters. Yeah, Reyes could be Reyes could be in for a big year here. Some waiver wire starting pitchers. Scott, let's talk about your boy, Jake Junis at the Pirates. Six and two-thirds, two earned, nine strikeouts. And it looks like he is lining up to be a two-start pitcher for next week, if I am looking at this correctly. And it would be against Cleveland and against the White Sox. So 30% rostered. Uh, what should that number be? How, how many? Where do we need to get Jake Tunis to? I mean, it's been creeping. It's been, I, I'm <laughs> glad because I'm, keep, I'm able to put him in the sleeper pitchers column every week. I think he's going to price himself out of that range pretty soon, though, because three of his last four starts, he's just looked... He's looked electric with that new cutter. A lot of, lot of whiffs on it. You know, there was the one bad start against the Rays. Everybody has a bad start now and then. I think this is the, I think this is the start that'll put a lot of people over the over the fence with Jake Junis, and we'll see his rostership double at least based on this start. A few other starting pitchers who I think you're more so looking at in deeper leagues that had really, for some great starts. Garrett Richards, seven innings, one run, ten strikeouts against the Mets. I mean, their their lineup is making Garrett Richards look good. So I, it's like <laughs> All, nineteen swinging strikes too. That's what year that's is it? Incredible total. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, but Garrett Richards, Tyler Anderson had a good one, six innings of one run ball, five strikeouts. David Peterson, six innings, two runs against a really good Red Sox lineup. Uh, Trevor Williams against the Braves. He has allowed two runs or less in four of his five star uh, five starts this season. Carlos Martinez has thrown back to back quality starts. And Michael Waka has allowed four earned runs over his last three starts. So, any interest here, Scott? Waka, Carlos Martinez, Trevor Williams, Garrett Richards, David Peterson, Tyler Anderson. It's a, a who's who of starting pitchers. I think Tyler Anderson is probably my favorite. Mr. Anderson. That's right, yeah. I could say that uh, now because I saw the movie. Oh, you did? Yeah, I watched it back in October. It was pretty good. I liked it. It's a classic, The Matrix. Um, classic action sci-fi. All right, so I would say Tyler Anderson's my favorite. Obviously, got to keep an eye on Carlos Martinez given his history, but the ground balls aren't there. The, the strikeouts aren't there like they were during his good years. Keep an eye on Richardson as dominant as this start. Or I'm sorry, Richards, Garrett Richards, as dominant as this start was. You know, maybe there's a chance he figured something out. So we'll see how the next couple go. And I'm keeping an eye on Trevor Williams too because it's he, he's been hit or miss, but the, the the good starts have been really good. So I'm I, I'm curious to see where it goes from here, but I'm not ready to pick up Trevor Williams. Let's get a bit of a. Update on the West Coast games. I know you wanted to talk about Chris Paddock, Scott, who went five and a third, six hits, five runs. Only three of those were earned. He really fell off in the sixth inning where he allowed three of those runs to come across. Uh, But you saw something about him that you wanted to tell people. Yes, I did. So what has been the issue for Chris Paddock every time this has come up? The, The reason we've been worried about him basically since his first start this season is that his fastball appears broken. And if his fastball is not something hitters need to be concerned about at all, then it's going to be difficult for him to get to the changeup that's so good, for, for that to really have the, the impact it's supposed to. The spin rate on his fastball in this start was up 
141 RPM from what he had averaged previously this season. That that makes it that takes him to where it was as a rookie. Like just this start, what he averaged over his entire rookie season RPM on the fastball. It takes it to that and beyond it, actually. It was about 50 RPM higher than that. Um, and obviously, the fastball was, with that RPM as a rookie, was effective enough, right? That's when, what, when he got on the map in fantasy. So this spring, going back to as early as like February, there were articles written about Paddock, this being pointed out to him last year. The RPM was down on your fastball. That's why you were so vulnerable. And he started watching video of his delivery, from his rookie season, trying to get back the RPM on the fastball. And really, the, 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 the one thing I was holding out hope for um, when it appeared he was broken, the reason why I wasn't to the point yet where I could say drop Chris Paddock is because I wondered if that was a work in progress. You know, if it wasn't just something he could fix overnight, but gradually work his way up to that. Maybe that's what happened here. And if, if his if the if the RPM on his fastball remains this high, um, I th- I think there's a chance he's fixed, and uh, you know obviously because that last inning went poorly for him, I I don't think his his stat line's going to jump out to people who are just looking at the box scores. Maybe it's an opportunity to buy really low on Chris Paddock. I I'd want it to be low because surely the person who has him is on the verge of dropping him already. Uh, but and they might after this start, you know, yeah. w- without listening to what you have to say about the spin rate on his fastball. I'm someone who's just they see the line. They're t- look, I'm done with Chris Paddock, right? It's, I got to get this guy right. off my team. If right. it happens, so, then then pick him up. Yeah, or if you just don't want to have to compete with other people on the waiver wire, you offer your one of your two or three lowest players for Paddock and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Might go through. Uh, in that Dodgers and Reds game, just I want to highlight again, like Jesse Winker. The guy has been amazing. He, two for four. He just hit, un, uh, didn't just do it, but he hit a home, another home run, his sixth. This comes a day after hitting a home run off of Kenley Jansen to give the Reds the lead in that game. Mm-hmm. I, I think the power breakthrough here for Winker is legit. You look at his stack has page, it's filled with red. He's crushing yeah. the ball. He's hitting more fly balls than ever before. He just needs to stay healthy. If he stays healthy and maintains his batted ball data, we could easily be looking at a 30 home run, potential 300 plus batting average from Jesse Winker. It's a big if. And we were getting scolded on Twitter for not making a bigger deal of him, for not having him as a top 20 outfielder or whatever. And I just want to put that into context because... Three years in a row now. Three years prior. This is the fourth year. So three years prior to this one, Winker has had a crazy hot stretch that had me coming on here and saying basically what you just said, Frank. I think it's legit. I think he's about to be a stud. And then I had to walk it back because uh, I think two years ago, he had eight home runs in April and had something like eight the rest of the way. You know, last year I talked about how his September was dreadful. I don't, I think he hit around 100 in September after an amazing August. Um, so he, he's done this before. And, and so that's why I'm, I'm wary of just coming on here and saying again, okay, this is the breakthrough for Winker. He's, he's going to be a stud. Like, I, I don't know that. I don't know what makes this different from those other instances where I reacted too soon. So I don't want to react too soon this time. And I, I don't think there's any downside to not reacting to not reacting so soon because he's already rostered everywhere. You're probably just going to start him until he cools off. It's not a start sick question. I guess trades, you wonder, okay, should I sell high on him then? I would say no. I would say it's not worth the risk of selling low in your efforts to sell high. I, I do like the upside. I do like the profile. I, I don't I don't know where this is going to go from Winker. He's faked this out enough times that uh, I don't want to I don't want to lead somebody to believe they can just trust in him as their number two outfielder all season long because that's a big leap to make here uh, based on just a few weeks of data from a guy who's been a stud for a few weeks at a time before. So I hate to take that stance because now I've put myself in a position where if this does turn out to be Winker's breakthrough. 
if that very good news arrives at our our desk that it's the breakthrough season for Winker, that means I was wrong, I guess. People are going to be able to point at me and say, you said it might not be. Okay, whatever. It, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. You have Winker, you're using Winker, you're enjoying it. Just don't get ahead of yourself. There's no reason to get ahead of yourself. And I, I think it's also a good point that you bring up, Scott, that Look, some people will email in or, or tweet at us and they'll say, oh, well, how do you have this guy ranked this in this spot? And, and how, how do you have this guy ranked this low? And Scott's been doing this a long time, man. Like he's been doing this since I was in high school. So, I mean, that just gives you a little bit of perspective there. But there are many Lord. things that there are many things that we weigh when it when I at least when I'm ranking players. And I'm sure you do, too, Scott, where you have to take into previous track record and the possibility of a breakout, but you're also doing that for every other player that's in that same range. So believe me, we are taking all these factors into account. And when players like this come along, we will talk about them on the podcast for sure. But the way that Jesse Winker is playing right now, he 100% deserves all the respect that he's should be getting. And um, I'll certainly be moving him up inside at least my top 40 outfielders, maybe even more than that. So that is coming with a Wednesday fantasy rankings update. A few deeper league uh, hitters on the waiver wire. I wanted to mention Francisco Mejia went three for four on Tuesday with two doubles. He has started four of the last seven games for the Tampa Bay Rays. He is only 22% rostered. And I think he should be owned in all two catcher leagues. So that's probably more than 22% of CBS leagues, maybe. So get him in those leagues. John Birdie went two for four with his second home run of the season. And he's only 14% rostered as long as Brian Anderson is out for the Marlins. He is going to play every day. And I think that he should be rostered in any category leagues with five outfielders and a middle infielder. Last name I wanted to mention, Tyrone Taylor. Three for four with a home run, three RBI on Tuesday. He has been in the minors for a long time with the Milwaukee Brewers. He's, I think it was a former second round pick back in 2012. So it hasn't really panned out for him, but he has some power and some speed. Another name in NL only leagues is Tyrone Taylor. The call to the pen. I want to give you some updates on some bullpens. Richard Rodriguez had a clean ninth inning for his fourth save. James Karinchak, he picked up a four-out save. It was his second save of the season. Emmanuel Class A had pitched three of the past four games entering Tuesday, but I wanted to highlight how amazing Karinchak has been. 20 strikeouts to just two walks on the season. So if Class A doesn't keep it up, I just let's let's so show uh, Karen Chak some love there because he's he's been awesome uh, for the Red Sox. Matt Barnes got his fifth save. Diego Castillo allowed a solo home run in a two run game, but picked up his fifth save of the season. Josh Hader got his fifth save. Giovanni Gallegos for the Cardinals was used in the eighth. Alex Reyes was used in the ninth for his sixth save. Ryan Presley picked up his third. Gregory Soto picked up his third for the Tigers. Jose Cisnero was used in the eighth. So. I think he has leapfrogged, uh, who am I thinking of? Brian, somebody, who was in the, Brian Garcia, who was in the mix for saves there earlier with the Tigers. And for the Blue Jays, Rafael Dolis pitched in the ninth in a nine to five game. Some delayed team name, team name Tuesday. I forgot about it yesterday, although I had it written down. Uh, this one's from Brad. Hyunjin Ryu Mad, bro. Okay, that works. I don't think you're ready for this one, Scott. From Mark. Can I stop your mean Mercedes from beating up my sweet Ford? Eflin hell. So lacking in parenting, but do better. That's it's kind of like a, a, a paragraph, but <laughs> I thought it was funny. It's, so Yeah, no, that's, you know, I don't like so many names in it. It's, but. it's way too many, but it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one's from Richard. Isaiah can eat a falafel. Okay. You say goodbye, I say gallo. Yeah, that works with two names in there. Yeah. Gluten Freeman. Okay. <laughs> little. Yeah, I, I don't know that you tried hard enough on that one, actually. Most of them try too hard, but that one doesn't seem hard enough. We've got a few from Todd. Acuna Moncada, classic. Panic at the yep. Cisco. Ozzy, mm. Ozzy, Ozzy, Choi, Choi, Choi. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one before. That's good. I like it. Uh, Hap, I'm Madison Bumgarner. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I get that one. Me neither. Ian Seymour Bunce. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, from Kevin, oh my God, they Billy McKinney. 
Ah, I like that. South Park reference there. Yeah. Uh, from Joseph, Meriwether, Lewis, and William Clark. Okay. Sure. Cease fires. Oh. Like Dylan Cease and Mike Fires. Okay. That's right. Yeah. That's that one that was a little disarming there. From Peter, Toddlers Alcantaras. It's supposed to be toddlers and tiaras. Never watched it. Yeah, kind of a stretch. I wouldn't have gotten it without him putting the answer in parentheses there. From Scuba Sean, started in Class A, now I'm here. Okay. Uh, He had a few grade the trade questions. Let's answer these quickly. 11-man Roto gave Richard Rodriguez and Kesson Hira got Nick Solak and Patrick Corbin. I would give that a B-. That's I'd rather have Solak than here at, at this point, amazingly. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. 10-man head-to-head league. Gave Trevor Story, got Jazz Chisholm, and Randy Arozarena. Ooh. That's an F. Sorry. I can't. <laughs> and that is that is irredeemable in my eyes, trading your first-round pick like that. From Nick, tied to France. Okay. From Jeffrey, Blackman Turner Overdrive. That's some okay. kind of... Is that some kind of musical thing? I yeah, it's uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive. I actually know that musical reference. It's from a very long time ago, though. <laughs> the last one from Tim Peaky Bueller. Taking care of business. Taking care of business is their song. All right, Taking. go ahead. Uh, last one, Peaky Bueller's. Yeah. Did you watch Peaky yeah. Blinders? I haven't. I haven't. No. I heard it's pretty good though. Uh, to stream or not to stream? We mentioned yesterday for Wednesday, our favorites were Waskari Noah versus the Cubs, Alex Wood versus the Rockies, and Domingo Herman at the Orioles. For Thursday, Scott just choose three of these. Uh, Quang Hyun Kim versus the Phillies, Adbert Alzali at the Braves, Martin Perez at the Rangers, Kyle Gibson versus the Red Sox, Matthew Boyd at the White Sox, and Dylan Cease versus the Tigers. Well, I'll just take Gibson, Boyd... Kyle Gibson, Matthew Boyd, and Adbert Azalei because I think they're the best pitchers, but I don't really trust any of them with those matchups. So take that for what it's worth. Well said. I do not really like any of those either. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.